Discipline, behavior, consequences, oh my. I'll never forget that when I interviewed for my high school librarian position, one of the questions admin asked me in the interview was, how will you handle discipline and behavior in the library? And I try to remember now what answer I gave because at the time I had only six months experience as a school librarian. And those six months were as an elementary librarian and classroom management was absolutely my weakest skill. I realized that the library school had simply not prepared me at all for this aspect of library management and of being a teacher librarian. I suppose it's the kind of thing that they assume that you'll learn during your student teaching experience. But unfortunately, my elementary student teaching experience didn't teach me these skills for classroom management because the librarian I studied under didn't seem to use any specific strategies. She probably did use some, but if so, it was not explicit and I just didn't notice. And I did not know to ask. During my secondary level student teaching, I witnessed very little in the way of classroom management because it was at a seven and eight center and the students only came to the library as a whole class with their classroom teachers who would have handled most of the management issues. Or they just came in for like quick book out check-ins, uh, book checkout pop-ins individually. It wasn't like they were staying and hanging out. There wasn't a lot of opportunity for me to witness the librarian doing any kind of significant classroom management or dealing with any kind of serious behavior conflicts. In hindsight, since I knew that I wanted to be a high school librarian, I really should have tried harder to get a student teaching experience in a high school. Um, because unlike in elementary or most middle schools, high school libraries frequently have students milling around and hanging out during free periods. It is much, much less structured than a whole class visit. And the issues of discipline and behavior are therefore rather unique compared to other school library levels. So as I think back to that interview question, I truly cannot recall how I answered. Whatever answer I did come up with, it was absolutely based on nothing but my gut instinct and theory. Because again, I had no actual experience at all in dealing with teenagers, let alone in trying to manage their behavior. So it came as a bit of a shock to me to realize that actually I'm pretty good at it. And it's a good thing too, because the library that I had inherited uh, six years ago initially had a lot of behavior conflicts to deal with. I inherited a library where the librarian immediately before me was only there for two years and she had seemed to have let it be uh, kind of a free for all with really no limits or boundaries that seemed to be in effect or at least which didn't seem to be effective. The librarian before her had been there for 14 years and had been on the entire other kind of end of the extreme, having been a very much more of like the old school librarian who had like lots of rules and ran, you know, if you're here, you must be only if you're quiet and only if you're working on something academic kind of a library. So I inherited a bit of a mess because the culture had swung so abruptly from hardly anyone can be here. And if you are here, it's for a specific and quiet academic purpose all the way to do whatever you want. And it, it was leaving students sort of unclear about and not at all invested in 
any kind of community guidelines or expectations. My first year was hard, y'all. It was so, so, so hard. I can't even begin to explain the bizarre, outrageous, and just plain weird discipline conflicts that um, came up during that first year. The word circus comes to mind. The word chaos is also up there. And the phrase, dear God, what is happening and what have I done by taking this job was a constant refrain in my head for the first few months. Oh, and by the way, did I mention that no one at the school remembered to go over the school's disciplinary action strategies with me? I didn't actually know we had discipline officers, nor did I know about the disciplinary referral write-up forms for at least the first five months on the job. But that turned out to be for the best, since it enabled me to feel around in the dark by myself, to do some trial and error, and to actually find behavior management strategies that worked with my temperament, my library philosophy, and the community building goals that I had set. And the strategies that worked for me really don't involve disciplinary officers or disciplinary write-up forms, except in like incredibly rare situations where student safety has been threatened by the behavior. And actually, I don't even really think of these strategies as behavior management or discipline. I'm only really using those phrases for the purpose of this blog post. In practice, I only think of these strategies as community building and relationship building strategies. So let me share some tips about what has worked for me when it comes to taking a library where student behavior was completely outrageous, destructive, disruptive, on a daily and significant basis, and turned it into a library that now typically has almost zero discipline needs or behavior conflicts. This change did not take long, by the way. By the second half of the first year, there were already noticeable improvements. The second year saw drastic improvement. And by year three, we weren't really having significant discipline or behavior conflicts anymore. So here is Kelsey's recipe for a well-behaved high school library. And just to give you a warning, this blog post is long. Uh, I did not expect it to be this long because I didn't realize that I was quite so passionate about this topic, but it turned out that I am, and I had quite a lot to say. So here we go. Kelsey's recipe for a well-behaved high school library. Number one, it's about community, not about control. First things first, we librarians have got to learn how to give up the concept of being in control. Our students don't need more people in their lives trying to control them. They need to be allowed room so they can grow, explore, and learn to practice self-control. We need to remember that teenagers have no power and that the adults in their lives have incredible power over them. Teens suffer constant oversight, judgment, and often suspicion from the adults in their lives. Adults who hold absolute power over them. The power to punish, the power to grade, the power to withhold money, support, love, agency, even the very roof over their heads and the food they need to survive. And yet at the same time, teens are also expected to be on the cusp of adulthood, to be able to act with perfect self-control, 
to be ready to make huge, life-altering decisions. Even though we know their brains aren't done cooking until they hit 25 years old. It's a serious pressure cooker. And boy, are they feeling that pressure. Furthermore, teenage years are a time of flux, of exploration, and of becoming. It's a time for young people to feel around and test boundaries, to test their limits, to try on identities, and to begin to figure out what kind of person they are or want to be. All of this requires grace, trust, kindness, and forgiveness for mistakes. If we demand perfection, we are missing the whole point of what we're supposed to be teaching them about being human. With all of this in mind, librarians must remember that our primary objective is to provide a library that meets our students' current and emerging needs. And many of our teens just don't need another adult seeking to hold power over them or to control them. Many of them need an adult to trust them, to help them learn about self-control, to offer a little bit of room to stretch themselves and to grow. So my first piece of advice is for you, the adult, to practice a lot of self-awareness, to let go of ego, and to consciously let go of the instinct to be in control. Instead, let's be in collaboration with our teens. Let's be in an alliance with them. Let's be the shoulder they lean on. Let's be the port in the storm. Let's be the springboard they need. Let's be in support of them. The library is about what the students need. It is not about what the librarian wants. This is how we build community. This is how we develop a space that belongs to the teens and which they feel ownership over. The kind of space that makes them feel comfortable, safe, and belonging is the kind of space they will want to protect. And this absolutely results in them wanting to behave in ways that protect the space and each other's right to the space. Think back to when you were a teen. How many places actively welcomed teenagers? How many, felt, how many places felt like they belonged to you? Because I don't remember many, if any. I remember being treated with distrust, suspicion, and scorn as a teen. I remember places going out of their way to deter teens from hanging around. I remember feeling like we weren't wanted anywhere. And I certainly didn't feel much like the rules of those places mattered to me as a result. It's not what community feels like. And why would I care about the rules for a place that doesn't care about me? Number two, avoid power struggles. Don't get into pointless power struggles. Students don't have power in the teacher-student dynamic. There's no need for us to exploit that. This is one that I do actually remember learning about briefly in library school. It's this concept of power. Because teens have so very little power in their lives. They are reluctant, understandably, to relinquish, and more importantly, to be seen to relinquish, any of the small amount of perceived power they can wield. Let's remember now that it is our job to uplift students, to help them find empowerment to feel strong and capable. It is not our job to callously and publicly 
crush teens' burgeoning self-assurance under our boot heels. Also that, what, we can feel in control and like we put them in their place. This is not how we build trust. This is not how we build respect. Trust and respect are streets that go two ways. How do we get teenagers to trust and respect us and therefore the library as a space? We trust them first. We respect them first. We listen to them. We protect them. Please remember that teens are more fragile than they look. They are trying on authority within peer groups. They're trying on self-confidence, self-assurance, self-reliance, and self-expression, sometimes for the first times in their lives. They're trying to begin to build the foundation of their young adulthood under their feet. They need help with this. They don't need adults to come in with TNT and blow their fledgling foundations out from under their feet just because the adult thinks there's a better way to build this foundation. They don't need that. They need us to help them learn about how to strengthen their foundation, how to patch it, how to reinforce it, and how to keep building it up. So my advice for avoiding power struggles is to carefully pick your battles. Show grace and model both flexibility and how to admit when you're wrong. True power lies in not feeling like you need to exhibit that power over the powerless. Our job is to ensure students are safe and to ensure that they have access to the resources they need for personal, professional, and academic success. And let's face it, behavior that does not directly threaten student safety is probably not a big important battle that needs to happen. Many of the tips to follow this one will demonstrate specific examples of how to avoid power struggles. Number three, always ask yourself why. Before you make a rule, enforce a rule, or punish a student for breaking a rule? Ask yourself a whole bunch of whys, a bunch of questions. Here are some examples of the self-reflective questions I try to constantly be asking myself and which have really helped me pinpoint the motivations, rationale, and purpose to what I'm enforcing in the library. So here are some of the questions that run through my mind. Why does this rule exist? And is that a good enough or important enough reason for this rule? Who does this rule serve? And who does it harm, exclude, or other? Why am I enforcing this rule? Is that actually a good enough reason? Is enforcing this rule right now the most important thing I can do with the next few minutes? Why am I enforcing this rule for this student? Have I always punished every student who broke this rule? Or have I let it slide for other students but feel compelled to enforce it for this student? Am I being harder on this student for some reason that I may not want to admit to myself? It is extremely likely that you may be showing unconscious bias, that you aren't comfortable admitting to yourself. But we all have these biases deeply ingrained in us. 
It does not make you a bad person to realize you have biases. The problem is if you keep refusing to look for the biases, and if you keep refusing to admit them to yourself, then you can't be taking intentional action to disrupt your biases. You can't stop letting your bias impact how you treat students if you won't allow yourself to see them. You may be unconsciously being harder on certain students for reasons such as their gender or gender expression and identity, their appearance, their attitude, the clothes they wear, the way they speak, their race, ethnicity, sexuality, disability, the cliques they belong to, whether they are an athlete, their GPA status, their socioeconomic status, and a host of other things. We must be honest with ourselves about this reality. None of us are exempt from our implicit and often unconscious biases. We are treating students unfairly and differently based on these things. We can't stop doing that if we refuse to admit it. Okay, back to the questions. Why am I choosing this punishment? Is there a different consequence that might be more fair or appropriate? Is a punishment actually needed here? What benefit will enforcing this punishment serve? What result do I want to happen from this punishment? Is there a different way to get that result? Will this action I'm about to take result in this student not wanting or not being able to come back to the library? Am I using this punishment as a way to avoid having to deal with this student again? Am I, in fact, hoping this student won't want to come back to the library? Is what I'm doing or what I did wrong? If I'm wrong, have I publicly admitted this to the student who is impacted by my being wrong? Have I apologized and made it right? Is there something I could do or have done differently in this situation? What steps can I take to ensure this situation doesn't happen again? Have I done everything in my power to ensure this student still knows they are welcome in the library and that I do not hold a grudge against them for this behavior? Constant and continuous self-reflection and unflinching self-honesty are the most important traits you can cultivate if you want to be a great teacher librarian. Number four, less rules are better. This one's pretty simple. You don't need a lot of rules. Tons of rules are just about control. You have to pick your battles and keep it simple. It's about asking yourself what's really important and about being flexible with everything else. Philosophically, I am opposed to a huge list of rules for the high school library. But there's also this simple practicality issue too. We don't, or we shouldn't, have time to be monitoring every student's behavior with a magnifying glass and constantly enforcing a slew of rules. If you have time for that, then when in the world are you doing the important teacher librarian work of instruction, literacy promotion, uh, collection redevelopment, and community building? After some trial and error, I have finally decided on only three hard rules for our high school library. Number one, 
we sign in. That being an, a safety issue. Number two, we are not disruptive. That being an accessibility issue. And number three, we are not destructive. That being both a safety and accessibility issue. These rules stem from my belief that the only behavior I need to worry about controlling are behaviors that threaten student safety or behaviors that prevent students from accessing or using the library's resources for their academic, professional, or personal needs. Here's some examples. I don't need to have a no loud music rule because if a student is listening to loud music while other students are trying to read or study, then I simply ask the student to please use headphones so their behavior no longer disrupts their peers because disrupting is one of the three rules. I don't need to have a no throwing things rule because if a student chooses to throw things, I simply say, please stop throwing things because doing so risks safety and can cause destruction. I don't have to have a don't have races on the wheelie chairs rule because if a student chooses to do that, I simply remind them that racing around is discourteously disruptive to their peers and is destructive because it causes our chairs to break. Because I don't need a list of rules, all I need to do is let students know that their safety and their ability to access and use library resources are the priorities in our space. If they choose behavior that doesn't allow for student safety or resource access, then I simply explain that to them. This sort of laid back and simple approach allows everyone to relax and it gives them some space to figure out for themselves and amongst themselves what behaviors are acceptable and which are not. I let them test the limits and I step in to gently nudge them back on track when it's needed. And of course it will be needed sometimes because they are teenagers and teenagers are all about testing the boundaries. But that's only because they don't feel safe until they know where the boundaries are. In my experience, teenagers, just like adults, don't actually mind following rules that make sense and which they understand. So I make sure that if I'm going to prohibit a behavior, I always, always have a good answer to the question that they will ask, which is why. When a student asks you why they can't do a certain thing, just tell them the honest answer. Respect them enough to be honest and explain to them how that behavior threatens safety or access. They actually do and will understand. Just don't ever say, because I said so, or because that's the way it is. That's not ever a good enough reason, frankly. And that's not how we build understanding, feelings of ownership, or community. We're all in this together. Number five, conversations first, always. Okay. Now we delve into the question of punishments or consequences. So the fact of the matter is that teenagers are sometimes going to need consequences. Here's a general guideline of how I handle this part of the job 
But please note that if the behavior is extremely unsafe or harmful, then these steps won't always be possible. Some behavior is out of my hands and has to be reported and sent to admin to deal with. Things that are like physical and verbal violence, obviously they have to be handled through official channels. So what I'm about to talk about is more in response to kind of the normal misbehaviors like um, throwing food or racing in the wheelie chairs, snapping rubber bands at each other, you know, just kind of those kind of things. So the first time a student chooses a misbehavior that needs to be addressed, I simply will like casually wander over to them or to their group. I'll sit down, greet them, ask how they're doing. All of this very low key and quiet. It is not a public shouting across the library scolding. Then I just will ask them to please stop doing whatever it was and I explain the reason. If the behavior had resulted in like a mess or something that needed to be cleaned up or put back or fixed, I would just ask them to please do so before the bell rings before they leave. I ask if that sounds good to them and then we might chat a little bit more and then I would wander back away. The second time the same student chooses a same or similar misbehavior, I might then ask that student or the group to come join me in the office, in my office, the library office, or just sort of out of the way for like a quick chat. I just try to be upfront and honest with them saying something like, hey all, I know we chatted about this already. Can you talk to me about what's up and why you're still making this choice? I listen to them and I explain again the reason that the behavior can't happen in the library. I try to have like a real conversation with them about how their choices negatively impact the library being a comfortable, safe and usable space for everyone. Depending on how that the behavior and, and their reactions to this conversation go, we might discuss consequences here or we might just kind of send them back to their space and, and let them try again. The third time that the same student chooses the same or similar misbehavior, um, at that point, after two casual requests and chats have happened, we'll next have like a slightly more formal one-on-one -on -one conversation in my office to discuss consequences and what actions the student plans to take to make amends. Um, if it's a group of students that were doing things, I would meet with each of them individually one-on-one, -on -one, not as a group at this point. Number six, one-on-one. -on -one. I try to never ever yell at students or get heated and loud with them when they misbehave. I think doing so serves only to amplify the situation and causes students to sometimes just escalate their own behavior in like an effort to save face with their peers. It's all about power again. By yelling and calling attention to the behavior, we risk putting the student in a position of feeling like they need to protect their rep with their peers. And my priorities are to ensure that students are safe and able to use the library resources. Yelling at students and publicly decreeing consequences for their actions so that everyone in the library overhears is not going to help. It is going to humiliate the student. It's going to make them feel threatened and they are going to lash out more as a defensive response. 
I don't want my students to perceive me as a threat. I want them to perceive me as their ally. I don't need or want to get into a public argument with the student because I know that the only possible result is going to be them being humiliated, punished, and hating me or the library. And how am I supposed to provide a safe space to them, to teach them, and to facilitate access to resources for them for the next however many years if they hate the library and the librarian? It's just not going to work. Okay, I'm approaching 30 minutes and we're about halfway through. So I'm going to pause here and see if I can record the second half in a follow-up podcast.